Hey everybody, I'm Brian Grossman, Editor-in-Chief at the Colorado Springs Independent. This is the Indy 15, the weekly show that recaps everything you need to know in the news. Our guests in studio today are Managing Editor Helen Lewis and Indy Food Editor Matthew Schnipper, who's going to talk to us a little bit about putting together his State of Plate podcast, uh, as well as the Art of the Food Review. Uh, Matt and Helen, welcome to the Indy 15. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, you haven't really talked, uh, you put a ton of work into this State of Plate podcast that's uh, now live at the Indy website. Yes. But I don't think anybody's really talked to you a whole lot about the behind the scenes stuff. Is that right? I think that's accurate. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it let's talk let about Stay behind the scenes. Let's talk about the, the behind the scenes. What, what made you decide to do this in the first place? Um, you know, I think over the years I'd always had this craving to do sort of that um, state of the scene, which is one of those things that all weeklies have done in various capacities, whether it's the state of the art scene or something else. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think uh, the premise I kind of set up in the print story we did um, was basically ever since this review of the Roswell a few years ago, mm-hmm. uh, which got a lot of attention and, and got a lot of people upset. Um, I wanted to follow up on that and revisit sort of an overarching question about where are we as a town and what do we need to improve and get better and keep growing and evolving. And I sort of premised that along with our hyper development, all mm-hmm. these cranes downtown and all this growth we're seeing. Um, and just sort of trying to take an honest take and say, look, if we're going to be a big, big city, if we're going to be the next Denver, how can we get Denver's culinary scene? How can mm-hmm. we become a foodie city um, and come out of this place of what some people might call safe food or middling food. How can we be excellent? Yep. So sort of where it started. I recall the Roswell uh, review. I don't know if Helen remembers that one or not. It might not. be before my time. Yeah. So yeah. do you want to talk about a little more detail? The, the, yeah, yeah, the two-second version. Um, when, Ros- when Roswell opened, um, it opened in the former location of Smorbrod, which was Jay Gus. Scandinavian restaurant that the Lincoln, shot at. The Lincoln Center. Yeah, the Lincoln Center mm-hmm. next to Goat Patch. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, internationally, um, Nordic food was just super hot. Like, that was the thing. Everyone was doing it. Um, <laughs> and so Jay was like, all right, I can bring this here. We can do this right. He was importing all these wonderful ingredients and taking a very Puritan approach. And um, it was great. We loved it. We gave it a great review. Um, a lot of people responded to it. Not enough people. It didn't do well, and eventually it closed. Yeah. So, um, and Jay was on a, is on episode two talking about that that backstory. So you'll have to listen to episode two for that history mm-hmm. um, of state of plate. Um, but so my premise in that article at the time was, um, okay, so our town. I kind of blamed the eater actually. So maybe I'm the jerk. Um, I said our town didn't support this great thing. What's wrong with us? And what came in was was Roswell, and um, it's kind of safe bar food, uh, stuff we've all seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, it wasn't trying to be anything overly elevated. They, they told me that when we've pre-interviewed on it. Um, it was just kind of trying to be a neighborhood place. Um, and so I didn't have a great experience there. And I kind of wrote it more about my backstory. Well, if we couldn't support this and this is what we want in its place, what does that say about us as mm-hmm. a town and how we're going to go to these next steps. And what I, what I concede in that print story a few weeks ago before State of Plate published was just that, okay, I didn't have to make Roswell the flag bearer for, yeah, for all (laughs) things. Um, And, you know, that's sort of what upset a lot of people. However, I stand by my review at the time and I stand by this idea of we need to be really honest with ourselves and what are we championing with our dollars and how we spend them and what are we 
saying with that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you keep buying that $19 burger, the $15 burger, the, the whatever, and if it's not great, um, why? What, are we, what's, what message are we sending back to chefs and kitchens and restaurateurs? Mm-hmm. What message can we send if we spend that dollar in another place? Um, we're not going to get into naming tons of names here, but I'm just going to say like Adams Mountain Cafe has always been supporter of more local food growers and, and sustainable food. They try to bring in that clean food. And and, um, and so we could send a message to them to say, hey, if you buy that better egg, we'll support you. We'll come to brunch there. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you buy that better chicken, um, we can support better food systems. And that's what we get into in episode five of State of Plate is, is a hyper focus on local food and growers and producers and this idea that good ingredients make good food. And we can send a message as consumers, by buying that, by patronizing those restaurants, by keeping them full and in business and staying away from the chain food. Um, yes, chain food, there's jobs in this town. There, There's a time and a place. I don't, I don't want to say we have to get rid of all of it, but mm-hmm. we're getting too much of it. Mm-hmm. And you can see that along the Powers Corridor. You can see that in North Colorado Springs, Northeast Colorado Springs. How many more smash burgers or five guys or – chicken, whatever do we need? Mm -hmm. And what can we do to create a resistance to that with local independent restaurants Mm -hmm. doing a great job? And another example of that really quick, and I'll let you talk because I'm talking all the, I'm just taking up all the air in this room. Um, You know, when Bird Call opened across from Chick-fil-A up off Dublin, like Mm -hmm. Denver-based small-ish restaurant group doing a very similar concept um, and literally right across the street from Chick-fil-A, which chicken sandwich do you want? This delicious, amazing gourmet one that's really not that much more expensive or Chick-fil-A, right? Like we can do that. We could, we could set up that little resistance mm-hmm. and create places and fight back at kids' chain food and stuff. But uh, it's going to take some brave restaurateurs and some money behind it. And, you know, it's a focused effort, which, again, the consumers can make as we go out and dine. Where do you want to spend your money? Is it? Is it it a question – I was reading this thing the other night that I hadn't really thought about. Um, As a consumer, if if we're talking about, you know, consumer-driven, you know, we get what we support. Um, It was talking about are you eating out because you don't feel like cooking Mm. or are you eating out because you want an experience? You want something that you can't do in your kitchen. Ask yourself the question. So this was – I think this was being written by some chefs who were saying – don't do these things when you go out. Go out and actually do something that you're not capable of. Mm-hmm. Is that right. something that we're sort of seeing here is that people maybe aren't thinking about why they're eating out and they're just choosing safe because that's what they're going out for? Yeah. That's a great question. There's a lot of safe. So I think it's, yeah. it's easy to make a safe, safe decision, right? <laughs> yeah. I think we've all been there. I mean, you get off work and you're exhausted and you mm-hmm. just don't want to cook. And sometimes food – sadly is utilitarian. You just need calories and you need to eat and you're on the way to do X, Y, Z with kids or whatever. Um, I'll say there's a time and a place for Chipotle and that's a great time and place for that, you know, and maybe it is the fast food or chain thing, or maybe it's still going out for a local meal if you can squeeze that time. But again, like, sure. uh, I think some people are definitely eating because they don't cook a lot or don't know how to cook well. Mm -hmm. And they, they look, maybe they budget for that and say, okay, I'm not going to go on lavish trips or do this and this or drive a new car, I'm going to go out to eat a lot. And maybe that's their jam and great. Like they're going to support our economy here, spending food out. Um, For myself, like there's a lot of things I can cook well at home that I don't go out for. Like even just a steak, why would I go out for a steak? A steak is really easy to execute at home. So is a burger. So is a sandwich. So is a lot of these things. Mm -hmm. I want to go out for something that I don't make well or I don't have all those spices or ingredients on hand or just something really creative where – 
I don't know. I was at the warehouse recently for happy hour before a switchbacks game and mm-hmm. just went and did happy hour with, with, with chef James Africano, who's another guest on episode two, but just checking out that menu, like, um, you know, some scallop ceviche. I am not doing scallop ceviche at home pretty much ever. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to see it. So that's my chance. Okay, cool. Um, that would be the kind of thing I think about going out for, mm. um, creative, different ingredients, um, well executed and, I just think it's so personalized, though. It's got to be a subjective question, like what's going mm-hmm. on in, for people. And, and I want to be respective, too, to, to um, income and, and disposable income. Some folks might not have that disposable income to eat at these high levels. That's like a once-a-year a birthday anniversary meal or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally want to respect that. Maybe when they go out, it, it is something more like the the hole-in-the-wall taco joint that all of us go to, too, because it's great. and it's But it's a lot more affordable. So we've got to always make that distinction between – high-end fine dining and, and Broadmoor and how those exist in a marketplace compared to more affordable options. And now with inflation, everything's just out of control, right? Like everything's expensive. Mm-hmm. But then it's not always, you know, good food doesn't always have to be expensive. I know I, I haven't listened to this episode yet, but I saw that one of the chefs you interviewed was – or one of the um, restaurants you interviewed was Le Charles, right? right? And that's right. not expensive food, but that's good food. Yeah, yeah. And so it doesn't have to be an either-or. She, um, I mean, even Luchal told me she's, um, she's bringing in some really nice fish. She has a high standard of quality, and, and some of her ex- her entrees are getting closer to that twenty dollar price range. So I'm like you. I, I probably ate at the food truck first, had the mm-hmm. crab fries, mm-hmm. and was like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. that's whatever, ten or twelve bucks at the time. I, I can't quite remember, but um, even those things are starting to feel expensive. And I'm and I'm not blaming the restaurateur because I know that their food costs have gone up, labor costs are up, right. um, all those other factors are driving that up. But um, but yeah, I mean, we could obviously we could go out right now around town and find some great food for a reasonable price point. I mean, I was just um, not too long ago. Um, Brian Eller brought me a Drifters burger. Yeah, and we the original In and Out, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> at least if, for Colorado, yeah, right? Well, Drifters is who I mentioned mm-hmm. um, a couple times in the show. Uh, I think this was, if I'm not mistaken, like an eight or nine dollar burger, and I think it even had like two patties. It was their little upcharge special one. I forgot the name of what they call it. Um, anyway. Awesome, like really, really good, and they're using Ranch Foods Direct. Mm-hmm. Eve uh, and mm. Mike from Mike Collar Crate from Ranch Foods. He's in episode five too. Mm. So the point I make with Drifters is not only can you choose the the better beef that's grown and, and ranched in the in the area, you know, right on that Kansas Colorado border, um, no pesticides, no hormones, etc. So the better beef option than the factory farm model that's just you know drinking up the Ogallala aquifer water and feeding these massive, you know, destroying, yeah, just destroying everything. (laughs) So you can get the better beef at a local restaurant with a delicious burger for a better price. And they're doing it. So my challenge to the restaurateurs out there is if drifters can do this, Mm -hmm. why can't you? Mm -hmm. And now some of those things might be like, well, drifters does burgers and only burgers. And we do burgers is one thing on our menu. We can't buy in that bulk or that volume. Sure. Mm -hmm. Like we could talk logistics all day about the little fine print, but if you just step back and look at a big picture, it can be done. <laughs> Supporting local and a better product at a good price point. Mm-hmm. Gauntlet thrown down, Colorado Springs, like, why aren't you doing this for us, the consumer? Right. I have a question. You said subjective somewhere during that, that conversation. And a lot of people would say what you do is very subjective. 100%. <laughs> why should people care what your opinion is? And how do you go about doing a fair review? Look at me, Brian. I'm, I'm, I'm amazing. Just cack. Why do I need to Next care, question. Right? Okay. <laughs> um, Okay, so you're 100%. Like everything I write all the time is always just my opinion. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily right. I have an opinion. I try to bring and, and cite my 
long industry experience or something by at least way of saying, look, I'm not a total knucklehead who just landed from outer space. Like I spent 10 years in the industry. I understand the insides of it, front of the house and back of the house and mm-hmm. management. Um, I, I've, I've seen that side of it. So I know who I'm writing about. I've lived that life. And honestly, I still consider myself an industry person in the back of my head because it's like the criticism is the final step of the of the process. Mm-hmm. And you'll hear this from the arts world too. You do an art show, you want feedback, you want someone to come write about it. And curator after curator has always told me like, it's not complete until you get that final step of the validation. So I'd like to think of myself as that final step in the industry still. Um, and it's just the people I associate with. And, you know, um, on one hand, if you cut me, I bleed ink because of journalism. And mm-hmm. on the other hand, I bleed some like weird greasy sauce right, from yeah. the kitchen, but, um, something from the trap. I think it's from the <laughs> grease trap. Yeah. Um, anyway, so 10 years in the industry, then I've been doing this for 15 years, uh, or, or something like that yeah. here at the Indy. So I think it's just longevity, um, institutional knowledge, being in this town, knowing these chefs for a long time, uh, the guys I bring on an episode to, um, you know, James, Jay, Brent Beavers. I worked for Brent 20 years ago. So we talk about back then I, I was waiting tables and they created a chef's collaborative. We're talking about what were they trying to achieve? Where are we now? Mm-hmm. Um, so I would cite longevity and just say, look, I, I, I'm trying to come at this holistically sensitivity to the world they, they inhabit. So again, thinking about those food costs or other things like that, the, the challenges that they, they face. So when I do write a negative review, I've got to take that into account mm-hmm. um, and, and try to be fair, you know, fair enough and find the positives, always go looking for the positives. Um, and at the end of the day, like they can take it or leave it, the criticism. They can say, that's not us. He's, he's wrong. He has terrible taste. Like, forget it. I'm going to push this away. Or they can say, ouch, that stings. But you know what? He's got a point there. Like we got to do better on our ticket times or we have to execute that better burger at this price point. And if it's not resonating with him and he has okay taste, then let's take that to heart and see if we can do better. It's up to them. So you could argue that even the critical restaurant reviews are some sort of public service. They won't see it that way when it stings. But I am trying to elevate the whole industry. Like with State of Plate, we're, we're striving to say, like, we want a better food city. How are we going to get there? Mm-hmm. Like you can hear the passion in these guests' voice talking about it. These chefs are, whether it's Brother Luck or Eric Brenner um, in episode four, um, Lushal in episode three. I mean, everyone who talks comes in with so much passion for what they do. And that is a hard industry. It's not – you're not getting rich off this stuff. <laughs> like yeah. these guys are putting so much time in mm. and, and barely eking by with such a fickle industry. So, um, you know, I, I try to think about all that stuff. So yeah. no, I'm not always right. It is 100% subjective. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's talk – I want to plug your other project. And I know Helen has, you know, been listening to this other podcast. Do you want to – Sure. Talk about that. All right. Um, and that also linked up with a, a story that we put in the indie. That's right. Um, so last year, oh gosh, last spring, I think, of 2021, mm-hmm. um, my writing partner and I, Lauren Hug, had been reporting on a story that was brought to us um, by a, let's just say, concerned citizen. Um, and this was sort of uh, something I was working on outside of the independent. Um, so I some other side projects, mm-hmm. but luckily they get to dovetail sometimes. And I remember approaching you and saying, Hey man, I got this story. I'd love to do something in the indie with it too. So our, this audience can, can hear this. But, um, uh, this story is, uh, involves a young man on the, who has autism, who was accused of animal cruelty. And, uh, it is a deep dive into the, his journey through the criminal justice system, mm-hmm. um, in our, in our district here. Um, and so in the indie, we, we did kind of a, a teaser preview. We told 
a good snippet of that. And we were actually still not done with our reporting at the time. This was ongoing. Mm -hmm. um, things were still playing out with a court case and at the DA's office, the pandemic happened, a lot of delays. Mm -hmm. So what, what I thought would have been maybe a, a year story has, has turned into a three-year story. I, I, it's, it's a really long time to live in a story as a writer. Um, and um, so where we are now, we just published um, – a batch of our first episodes. We have a couple more to go. It'll, the, se the series, season one, will complete in, in mid-November. Um, but the uh, – and I'd love to, uh, yeah, talk about just sort of um, the, the bigger implications of this story for our town. I like to think of it as one of those important stories. We journalists love to think we write important things mm -hmm. and we want people to check them out. And I think we always get a little frustrated when – you put out that important cover story and it's crickets afterwards and Nobody you don't cares. hear a lot of comments. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, but guys, this is important. And um, it's one of those stories where I really hope people tune in. There's mm -hmm. a lot to learn locally about how our systems work. And that, and that starts with animal law enforcement and mm -hmm. then up through um, the DA's office and, and just how these proceedings happen. Um, we point out some lack of oversight in our community that we think all local citizens should be concerned about. Like, Hey, if no one's checking this, but you could actually get sent to court and face criminal charges sure. on this, that's a problem. So we as journalists do a lot of fact-checking before we print things, right? We don't want to get sued for libel, and we also try to do good journalism. Mm -hmm. um, in the same vein, we, we are calling out a system that literally has no answer for why this wasn't checked. Right. And uh, we printed that part of that in the, in the Indy as well. Um, I can get more specific. Maybe Helen could could like okay. chime in on like what, what you're up on episode five now. I'm up to episode yeah. five of Vulnerable Creatures, which um, is yeah. Actually, I I started and it was a bit put down, uh, unput downable, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the really interesting things about it is you know when you, you go along thinking you know how society works, especially as a journalist, you have all this bits of knowledge about a lot of things. And then something happens to you or you hear somebody else's story and you're like, oh, there's a whole rabbit hole you can fall down where it's a different world. You didn't understand how these things worked. And um, there were a couple of things I was even surprised about, you know, the, the point that you guys made about the people think of misdemeanor, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's not good, but it's not the worst felony. thing that can happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They think parking ticket. Right. With you think no parking consequences. ticket, but this is this this has very real um, and serious and lasting consequences. I also had um, no idea how the um, animal enforcement officers <laughs> worked, how that system worked. And I think another part of this that was really interesting or is really interesting, I feel like um, you know, I think a lot of people now feel like they we're a lot more aware of autism and the spectrum and things like that. And people think they understand, but there was a whole lot in there um, that I didn't really understand how this plays out in everyday life. And, um, and then, yeah, just that apparent lack of oversight. So there's, there's all these different themes running through it. Um, it's an engaging story by itself, but it also branches off in all these different areas where you're like, I didn't right. know that's how that would work. I didn't right. know that's how that would play out. Yeah, I, I've learned so, so much in the reporting of it, and yeah. I, I, I claim no expertise going into it on mm -hmm. any of these topics. And I was really excited to learn along with our listeners and readers um, as we reported it. Um, animal law enforcement, for example, mm -hmm. um, you you hear you hear that and you think dog catcher. They're the people you call for the barking dog complaint, and that's true. 
and they do a, a really valuable service for society. Uh, they keep our cops doing other important cop work and not mm. having to do all the dog calls, right. which there are a lot. And our DA's office even started an animal cruelty unit just to address that because there were so many calls on that. So there's dedicated uh, prosecutors just for that topic, mm -hmm. which is fascinating, which we learned. Um, and that happened during our reporting. They, they created that when the new DA came in, Michael Allen. Um, but we, when we start telling you more about though, it's it's not just the dog catchers. There's other things they do. And if they do issue you a citations or summons or, or do write you up on something that can compel you to court, mm -hmm. in this case, this misdemeanor could still land a jail sentence and a high fine and alter everything. You know, that hurts your employment record. That mm. hurts so many things. Now, mm. you and I could go through it as neurotypical individuals who can read paperwork and, and, and navigate all these really complex systems. And as journalists, we might be able to do that better. And even even I and, and uh, even Lauren, who's my co-writer, co-host, as a former criminal defense attorney, both of us have stumbled on certain things. We're like, man, this is so dense. Mm -hmm. If we can't get this and we believe we're intelligent, you know, smart, smart people – how do you think someone else is going to do this, especially if they're if they have autism and they have any kind of um, disabilities or um, anything holding them back from that? And just additional hurdles to understand. Right, right. right. Our society is not compensating for that. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a really quick statistic. Right now, CDC numbers were saying one in forty-four children are currently being born onto the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. What do you think this society and the world is going to look like in 20 years with that many people? And what accommodations are we making right now for that community? Mm -hmm. Almost none. And one thing we should cite in one of the episodes of the show, uh, England, uh, they have a better system where if you get uh, any, any involvement in criminal justice, there are autism advocates who will be with you every step of the way to take you through that court process. Yeah. Mm. That's incredible. Like we absolutely need that. We, we say what well, we have a drug court, we have a teen court, we have veterans court, we have a homeless court here. Why is there not an autism court, especially mm. when you look at the rising numbers? We're behind the curve. We haven't solved this as a society. We're out there dealing right now with like conspiracy theory nonsense and wasting <laughs> our time. And we can't real actually issues. solve real issues. Mm. Like, so that's why I think this show is important. If you have anyone in your life uh, who has autism, a friend, mm -hmm. anyone you know, I want them to listen because you're going to learn something very important about what to do and not to do, what to say to cops, how to act around them. You need to be prepping your child for this is what your interaction with law enforcement might be like. Mm -hmm. Here's what you need to do because if you look at the Elijah McLean case, tragedy, right? Yeah. We've got awful things happening, people mm -hmm. being killed by cops in really bad situations. Mm -hmm. uh, law enforcement's not getting sufficient training in a lot of, of these areas. Animal law enforcement is not getting sufficient training as told to us by a former animal cruelty officer so, or animal law enforcement officer. Um, so just as Helen said, like there are so many little themes and sub-themes and rabbit mm -hmm. holes we go down in this show. Mm. And we try to um, always bring it back to our central story about this young man. And uh, we put it in the true crime category because it involves criminal justice. Mm -hmm. True story. Um, and we ask a lot of questions. We're not – as we're trying to take that journalistic approach, we're not trying to – Take an opinion and cram it down your throat. We ask questions like, hey, is is everything what it's cracked up to be here? Mm -hmm. What does it mean when uh, these veterinarians contradict the officer? And then what does the DA think about that? And then how does that play out? And asking the big questions, you know, who's the real I victim think, here? Yeah, I what, think that was one of the things that was really notable was that um, it is definitely doesn't seem to be driving a, you know, a very black and white this person is the victim, this person is the perpetrator. It, it does delve into the complexity um, in a way that I think is important to the story. 
Yeah. It seems like a, a just this whole series of things that all the actions seem little, but the consequences are really big. Well, also, I'm glad you mentioned the title. I forgot to plug my own title of yeah. Vulnerable Creatures. The reason we <laughs> named it Vulnerable Creatures is there are so many characters who are vulnerable creatures in their own right. And that starts with this cute mm. little kitten that gets injured that mm. launches this whole story. Mm. Um, each character in their own way, the, the, the young man with autism, vulnerable to society and how they treat him. Even the animal law enforcement officer who some might see as we're initially framing as the perpetrator, oh, she did this. She might have overreached. Well, she really has a tough job too. And we get to know her later and interview her. Um, you know, really moving backstory and no one's perfect every time and, and everyone has a bad day. And so we, we try to really make our uh, subjects human mm -hmm. <laughs> characters and respect everyone's dignity. But um, even she's vulnerable in her own way. Even the animal law enforcement officers who go out solo on shift without firearms are vulnerable to all the crazies out there. Sure. People mm. have and the animals. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. And you know, um, so I won't tell you about every vulnerable character, but <clears throat> yes, like listen to the it's a, it's a running theme. Yeah, please listen. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're on all the platforms, and um, we'd love to have that listenership and some feedback locally too. Yeah, uh, I believe this story takes place in Colorado Springs. It's locally set, mm -hmm. but I do, as we as I mentioned before, think there's national and even international implications with the importance of addressing societal lack for services for certain individuals, et cetera. Um, and this is just a, yeah, what I love about this being a misdemeanor is it's like that underdog story. People listen to true crime because it's murder and felonies and cold cases and all this stuff. You know what? Like you don't have to have that heightened drama to have a really good story mm. and a misdemeanor. <laughs> <laughs> Misdemeanors only. Right. Uh, and believe it or not, we actually have a paper out this week too. Uh, and it's and a doozy. It's a yeah. Uh, it's volume two, best of. Uh, and this is the community shopping and services issue. Uh, if you missed Best Of Volume 1, that was food, drink, and nightlife. So all the Best Ofs are on the street now. Uh, please pick up the paper and help celebrate the Best of Colorado Springs. Um, one last question for, for the sure. food guy. If you were on a, a desert island, what what local food joint would you want to be also on that island? Oh, man. Is that, that's is that too weighted? Yeah. That, <laughs> that's really tough. I mean, a good one, you know, though. We have dozens and dozens, and if I call out, like, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe that's, that's a bad idea. One. So if you were on a dessert island, dessert <laughs> island, what well, does that even mean? You know, the thing, too, <laughs> what we always have to be careful with with best of. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. This is our reader's chance. It is the reader's. Tell us what they think is the best. And sure. if I weigh in and say, well, actually, this mm. is the best, in my opinion, right. I might – you don't want to contradict the reader. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like, this is their time to shine. And, and like, you know, again, it's subjective. So, so Matt's so favorites are all of your favorites. <laughs> for this week, uh, I'm just going to say, or well, last week, since yeah. this week is the, go back and, and check out last week's. See what your neighbors and your friends and everyone else voted and mm -hmm. thinks awesome. And um, I'll shut up for once because I don't have to be, I don't need to be right. Yeah, I don't need to. Yeah. I mean, you can go into our archives and you can see what I've said about recent places. And um, we've probably reviewed a lot of the, the winners at some point. I think so. we have. And I'll be mm -hmm. honest too. I, I'll get people fairly periodically messaging me privately on like social media, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, it's special anniversary. Where am I going? And I'm like. Holy cow, I'm not a concierge. A right. like, <laughs> yeah. I, I can't do these services for every individual, whatever. But, um, you know, I have created some little guidebooks and some things that, I, you know, mm -hmm. we can direct folks to. Um, ton of good options out there. I don't need to pick one because mm -hmm. there's lots of good ones. And I don't want State of Plate as a whole to be seen as, you know, um, too critical or we're not good enough and we, we just suck. It's like, no, we have some great things. Um, we just want it to bring up the bar for everything. Uh, and so when it comes to 
you know, we do need to celebrate our victories, and, and there is a lot of great stuff, mm-hmm. even at the, the low price point of, like, mm-hmm. the, the, the food truck taco or something. There's great stuff here. Yeah. So I'll let the readers have their say on that for this week, though. Well said. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you to Helen Lewis and Matthew Schnipper for joining us in the studio. Don't forget to pick up this week's Envy uh, with the Best of Volume 2. Uh, and that's, again, Community Shopping and Services. It's available on newsstands and digitally through our website, csnd.com. Let us know what you thought about the paper and the show. Uh, we read all the things you post, so post away. This show was produced by Dave Gardner and Nick Raven and directed by Nick Raven. The video cast is distributed by Sean Cassidy. Dustin Glatz is our art director. Amy Gillentine is our publisher. I'm editor-in-chief Brian Grossman. Be sure to join us next week for another Indie 15.